Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Happy March 20th, everybody. This is episode 173 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I am Kat Caldwell. We are halfway through March already. We've gone through St. Patrick's Day, and apparently there's something called March Madness. (laughs) I'm sure most of you know what it is. It's basketball-related somehow. I remember back to my high school days, March Madness, all the boys talking about it. It doesn't affect me as much, but if it does affect you or you have spring break coming up, um, the kids might be home or maybe you're taking a family vacation, who for you, yay, vacation's awesome or it's just spring break um, or just spring is in the air. This is sort of the starting of the time where you have to get... um, creative with your writing time. At least I do. I know this is sort of, you know, quarter one, I can get a lot more done. There are a lot fewer days off at first school. You know, the days aren't as nice. They're cold. So you don't really feel like going out as much. And this time with spring and just school in general and volleyball season and all that, yeah, not as much gets done. But I just want to remind us all to, you know, enjoy the moments outside, enjoy the family vacation, whether it's out of your house or inside your house, we have to enjoy those moments too. We can't always be writing. And I'm talking especially to the achievers out there or those of us who don't have a huge backlist. And, you know, the whole indie world is always talking about your backlist, your backlist, you got to write more. Just take a deep breath. Um, You know, it's, it's funny because the the time that you spend outside at the park, maybe with your kids or your dog or your partner, you know, you might have gotten a couple thousand words if you're a fast typer. Like, is that really going to change much about your book? Now, what will change your book is, you know, not writing for a whole month or for two months or three months. So yes, you do have to get creative about how you're going to find that time to write. Maybe you wake up a little bit earlier. It's still dusky outside. You get your hot coffee and you write. Maybe you write later at night. Maybe you write during volleyball practice, which is probably where I will be. Um, so yeah, you sometimes we have to get a little bit more creative, but there are still moments that you can find to write um, and also get your vitamin D outside, <laughs> right? So it is March 20th as this goes out. It is March um, 16th right now, and there are some crazy things happening in the world over here in the States with the banking system and, you know, um, Silicon Valley Bank, just like I don't want to say the word collapse, but, you know, being closed up. Um, this is actually affecting a lot more people than um, I would have, you know, imagined. 
because a lot of the processes and the this like software that we use actually use that bank. And so lots of smaller businesses are being affected by this. If you are being affected, I just, you know, want to give you a word of encouragement to stay peaceful. There isn't a lot that we can do as sort of the small people, <laughs> right? The people way down low on the totem pole. Um, yeah, I'd go out and take a deep breath and, you know, maybe not watch the news as much. You know, I don't want to advocate for us not knowing what's going on in the world. But the truth is, if you if you don't watch the news, um, your anxiety doesn't get as high, right? <laughs> I have noticed that personally in my life. You know, there again, there isn't much that we can do. All we can do really is pray and hope that those in charge make the right decisions um, and just keep going forward. I do think that this is a time to think about, um, you know, diversifying your business. If you are really taking this writing thing seriously as a business, um, it it is time to spend some of your time getting ahead of the curve on just sales and where you can sell and getting creative. Um, I would personally advocate for you looking into direct sales and even looking into the fact that you don't have to have a shop necessarily to directly sale, but to get creative about how you can set up special offers with your books, um, how you can collaborate with people who are maybe not even writers. Um, you know, Mother's Day is coming up, Easter's coming up, Father's Day is coming up. Can you collaborate with like a chocolate company or a soap company or a jewelry company or a popcorn company? I don't know. Do you know people out there who have other small businesses and you say, you know, I can set up an offer where if you know, I buy 10 of your necklaces or 15 of your necklaces. Will you give them to me at a certain price? Or, you know, maybe would you guys offer my book at, you know, a $5 bump up um, if if they buy this certain necklace or this certain coffee or this certain bar of soap or whatever? Like, and you can also do that with other authors, you know, put together different different special offers and just sort of taking some time to not only think of your books, but of your business and taking note of what other businesses are doing. That is what I have been doing this week. Um, we had a great Tuesday that was the scene um, check workshop because of the time change in the States, I actually gave it three times because I realized that I hadn't warned the people in Europe <laughs> that it, that whatever time they had calculated, you know, a week before would no longer be that time. Um, so they showed up an hour later and we just did it again. It was really good. It was fun. Um, I have to learn to speak. I think maybe go to like a speech class or something so that I save my throat. <laughs> but I didn't lose my voice. We got through all three of them. There were some really great questions. And I don't know, I just, I am convinced that that is what I like to do. So the next workshop that we have coming up, it will be in about 10 days as this goes out. We're going to have the dialogue doctor come in and he's going to teach us about dialogue. Um, and we all have to write dialogue and we all could learn a little bit more about how to write it well, right? So as I do these workshops, I am glad that I'm convinced that it's it's the direction that I want to go. So I'm happy about that. And just you know, thinking about different offers and different special things that I can do. So there are a few things, you know, 
turning in my mind on what I can do for you guys as listeners um, and for people on my newsletter. So I just want to know from you guys what you are looking for in this podcast and what are you looking for in writing. I would love to hear from you. Um, it's really easy to get a hold of me on the website. You can go to pencilsandlipstick.com and go to the contact um, page, go to catcaldwell.com and go to the contact page. If you're on my newsletter, all you have to do is hit reply. On Twitter, you can follow at pencilslipstick. And on Instagram, it is pencils and lipstick all um, all spelled out or catcaldwell.author. I know that's a lot, but most of those links are in the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. I'd love to hear from you about what you would like to learn in your writing career, in your writing, in your storytelling. Um, and that will also help me, you know, sort of gauge the show as well. Um, so as you're, you know, looking for me on the internet, be sure to follow me on the social media and the podcast on social media, and be sure to share the podcast with your guys' friends and any other writing um, people that you know. It really helps out the show. I am, as we talk about diversifying business and all of that, I am looking into finding a new editor for the show and just looking into what we might accomplish with the podcast going forward. You know, we're coming up to summer, as we talked about, and just, you know, traveling starts hitting my family and just all the things that I you know, there are different ways that we could do this podcast, but if you guys have certain topics or certain questions that you have about writing or about the tools that we use to write, um, if you shoot them over to me, just click one of the links below. Um, uh, it would really help me know sort of where you would like this podcast to go. And so, you know, along with that, I will be looking at different special authors with offers with the writing retreat online in May and the writing retreat in person in September. We are still trying to figure out the place for September. We're having a bit of a hiccup over in Spain. So we're going to be making that decision within 10 days and starting to tell people about that. So if you guys are looking for an in-person retreat, it would be so cool to see you there. Um, as far as writing goes, I things are moving along really, really well in um, Bended Love. I am pretty excited about where this story is going. I'm really excited about Scarlet. Um, I have to be careful not to judge myself on, you know, how quickly Star Scarlet's story is going versus how slowly Tristan's story went because I really did know Scarlet beforehand. You know, I split Tristan off from Scarlet's story and I think that was the right decision to make. I spent a lot of time developing him as a character. And so now because I know her so well, um, it, things are just faster. And because I know him too, I think um, things are faster. So backstory on him is just easier to get out. And backstory on her is actually better developed, I think. And things are 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 better plotted, I, I think, um, because of all the work that I did last year on Tristan's story. So I'm very pleased with it. Um, I have been having some some more back issues. So I'm learning to go a little bit slower and take care of myself. Um, one of my, one of my goals this year was to drink more water and that hasn't been going super well. And one of my goals was to drink less coffee. 
<laughs> Let me tell you how well that's going. Well, um, if you don't know, I am pretty into vitamins and taking care of my body. Um, I used to get sick all the time, like all the time. And then once I had kids, I got sick even more all the time. <laughs> like ever since I was a kid, I was always sick. So it was in France with an awesome doctor that she taught me how to really build up my body with vitamins and to be careful about always being reliant on medication and to, you know, eat better and treat my body better. And, you know, I am not perfect at it at all, but I am very conscious. Um, I'm not vegan or anything like that. I like meat. I think it's good for you. Um, but I'm conscious about what I put into my body and I'm conscious about how to take care of my body. So I take vitamins every day. Um, I haven't been sick, honestly. I can't remember when I've been sick. Like I might have a few hours where I don't really feel very well. Um, but I haven't really been sick. Like even through COVID <laughs> at all. There was one time I think I got COVID, but it was like six hours long or something. Um, so when I want to look into, you know, cutting down coffee and water and things like that, I definitely look carefully into, into what I can do <laughs> to like substitute it. And I know tea is really good. And so I actually came across um, Magic Mind and I, they were talking to me about their product. And at first, you know, you think like, I don't know, there's lots of vitamins, <laughs> you know, it's like a shot of vitamins or whatever. I had tried something a couple years ago where it's like these little tiny bottles of vitamins as well. And, um, yeah, I like vitamins are good for you, but they told me over at Magic Mind, they sort of told me what it was about. I inquired and got like a little free sample and then they, asked if I would really try it to talk to you guys about it. So I've been trying it this week. Um, what I do like about Magic Mind is it's all vitamins. It's all a lot of things that I already take. So maybe I don't have to take them anymore. Um, like turmeric and uh, vitamin C and matcha. And I do like that they don't expect you to quit all your coffee. <laughs> like they actually say, take this with your morning caffeine. So I was like, yeah, I can totally do that. Um, I have to say, um, I am a little bit ADD. I have a lot of projects going on all the time. The last five days taking Magic Mind with my coffee, I haven't needed my coffee in the afternoon and I've gotten a lot of stuff done. So I don't know if that's the time change or <laughs> maybe it's, you know, everything together, the Magic Mind, the making sure I'm getting all my vitamins at the same time every day, along with a little bit of caffeine. But honestly, I've been going every single day, have skipped afternoon coffees, even afternoon teas, like haven't fallen asleep um, because I usually do. <laughs> I've been able to exercise. I even painted my office. <laughs> Like, and I've been writing two to 3000 words a day, plus doing other things. Like, I don't know, guys, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, I think I will be continuing with Magic Mind. I know that for some people, like this little tiny bottle is worth a couple dollars. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, is it worth it? I think it's worth trying. I think anything that has um, awesome ingredients like this, like organic matcha, organic agave, 
um, the turmeric, the vitamin C, the vitamin B complex, like that's super important actually. Um, your vitamin D3, like all of these things are great. We Americans especially um, spend a lot of money on going out to eat and getting our drinks and our Cokes and our 7-Elevens and our Starbucks and things like that. This is something that is good for you. Um, and I think it's worth, it's worth trying. It's worth the price trying. Um, so I know not everyone is going to believe me, but I'm always up for trying things that are healthy for you. I'm also up for, you know, standing and exercising and taking a walk. And so I'm going to repeat to y'all, it is spring, get outside, get your natural vitamin D by walking, um, drink your water, stand up from your desk every once in a while, save your back. Um, we will be having Roland come in. He is, we are going to interview him. He is like the king of, um, writer health. And we're going to bring in a couple more people about that too, but make sure that your, your desk is ergonomic. Make sure you're drinking enough water and get outside. Sometimes y'all, you got to get outside. Um, so my goal these days is 2000 words a day about that. And we're going to keep trucking with that. Um, today my guest is Troy Lambert. Yes. You might recognize him because he came in and talked to us about Yes, plotter. He is the plotter master, but he's also an author and he has 30 novels and he's really fun to talk to. He has a lot of really funny stories. Um, I think a couple of them he told me not recorded. So maybe we'll have to have him back on. Like he just has some really cool things that he's done in his life and probably get into his novels. So if you like thrillers, you would definitely like his books. So stay tuned. We are going to talk to Troy coming up. Remember y'all, if you want to see the episode um, recorded, you can now go to YouTube at Pencils and Lipstick channel, and you can watch the interviews recorded over there. Once YouTube gets their RSS feed, um, integrated. You'll be able to listen to the entire episode, but as of now, you can watch the interviews on YouTube if that is your cup of tea. And be sure to check all the show note links below. You can check out Magic Mind by clicking the links below. You can check out more about Troy in the links below and his books, and you can sign up for my writing newsletter in the links below and let me know what you want to talk about on the podcast. Plotter. P-L-O-T-T-R dot com. What is Plotter? It's an online outlining system. It helps you visualize your plot points. Plotter lets you easily arrange and rearrange your scenes, plots, and character arcs so you can quickly find your way to the end of your tale with no corkboard required. You can quickly outline your book with visual story cards, filter your timeline by characters, places, and tags, color coordinate your storylines to keep them organized, flip the timeline to view it vertically or horizontally, and so much more. Now that sounds really great, doesn't it? And it's one of the reasons why I tried Plotter about a year and a half ago. But I just, I guess, didn't get it. It didn't mesh with me and how I write. I like my journals. I like my cork boards. <laughs> but after talking to Troy, I gave it a try again, and over Christmas, I plotted out 
what I've already written of Cornered. So I basically took the inside outline of Author Accelerator and put it into points in a plain, like no template plotter outline. And I have to say, I kind of like it. <laughs> so I guess I'm more of a write as you go and then outline it. But it really helped me visualize the story. It helped me go chapter by chapter, which is what I always tell you guys to do. Read it and then write it down the plot points of that chapter, make sure nothing's missing. And to be perfectly fair to Plotter, it helped me realize that I needed to move chapter six to like chapter four and then move five and four down. <laughs> so I was pretty surprised by that. It was a big revelation that I'm not sure I would have seen had I not been going chapter by chapter and been able to just sort of type things out and move things around. Of course, maybe I could have done it in my journal, you know, but you can't really move things around in your journal. Sometimes you forget your journal at home, which is the worst. And if you like that, I upgraded to Plotter and I have it on the cloud now. And if you don't upgrade, you can just email you yourself your outline. I don't know, guys, I played around with it at Christmas and I have to say, I'm converted. I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where I'll outline before I write, but I do like this idea of outlining after I've written it, which is something that I talk about with Troy in the interview as well. I think you guys should at least check it out. It's plottr.com. If you have any questions, I'll give you my honest opinion about it. You can tweet me at pencils, lipstick, or you can reach me on Instagram at pencils and lipstick all spelled out or catcaldwell.author and I'll answer you as best I can. I have my affiliate link below where you can click on it and you can get over to Plotter and you can just fiddle around with it for a little bit. I think that you might as well try it whether you want to become an outliner or you want to see how it works for your editing. Troy Lambert is a freelance writer, author, and editor. He's written over 30 novels and several works of nonfiction. He's helped countless writers and others tell their stories. He lives, works, and plays in the mountains of Idaho with his wife and two very talented dogs. He's also a big fan of The Big Lebowski, as you will see, and is known to some as The Plot Dude. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Today I am with Troy Lambert as the author, not as the plotter ambassador. So hi, Troy. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you doing? Good. I'm excited to talk to you today because you wear two different hats. We've had you on two different times, but this time we get to see your face, not the plotter logo. So you are Troy Lambert, mystery and thriller author, correct? Correct. Yes, among right. other things, but <laughs> we'll stick with that for now. We'll stick with that one right now. We won't ask your wife what she'll add to that. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got into writing. Um, so so I, I'm one of those people that always wanted to be a writer. Like I wrote books. I wrote my first book when I was like six. When okay. I was like 14 in high school, I told all my high school counselors and everybody that I wanted to be a writer. Um, and they all, because they were very smart, told me that that was an impossible dream. That there was <laughs> nothing that I, that wasn't, they're like, you write good stories, you're creative, but you need to have, find a way to make money. Um, and 
which that's a whole road we could go down. But anyway, right. so I, so essentially I tell people I wasted, I believed them. And so I went out yeah. and tried to find various careers. I went to college for various different things. Um, and, you know, three, 30 years later, you know, at the end of a string of hairnets and name tags and various careers, I basically went, I should probably figure out this writing thing because yeah. otherwise I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Like I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't always a great employee because doing things I was told rather than something creative didn't really work well <laughs> for me. Um, and neither did that work for my employers. Um, although there, there are a few exceptions to that. And I had, I actually had some great experiences that, that helped me in my writing later. Um mm. But all of that to be said, that's how I got into it. Well, when I decided that it was around the 2009 time period and okay. indie publishing was becoming a thing that was a little less dirty. We'll just say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. it was like, it was like before that, if you self-published, you were the pariah. But I mean, I, at that point, you know, Mark Coker had started Smashwords, KDP was on the rise. So people were realizing there is another path to publication other than traditional yes. publishing. And there were a lot of small presses at that time that emerged kind of taking advantage of kind of a digital first type publishing model and that mm -hmm. type of trend. Um, so it was a good time for me to make that decision. Um, obviously, there have been a few changes since I was <laughs> since I started doing that. The industry has unfortunately just, just a little. <laughs> well, unfortunately or fortunately, it depends on how you look at your business and the business of publishing. So I immediately went to the default mode because I'd had all those jobs. So one thing that they mm. taught me was I had certain amount of business skills and business savvy because I had to, to yeah. go through all those jobs. So when I approached writing, it was very much from not only a passion standpoint, but a, an economic standpoint. Like okay. how can I sell books and make this work? Because was it to like quit the job? Like, oh, can well, I do this? Yeah, to quit I mean, the, the, the biggest thing was basically to to not have a day job, if at all possible, okay. um, which for the most part, since then, I've not really had a day job. Like I've had a couple of part time things or whatever that I did temporarily. Um, but for the most part, my day job has been writing. Um, Wait, did you quit before you became like published? No, there was a transition. <laughs> there is. <laughs> Because a so, lot of people will like wait, right? They'll be but, like they'll they'll straddle that. Yeah, for a while. so I straddled for a while, but part of that was I was working a day job where basically my job was to write. Now there were okay. other aspects of that job, but one of my jobs was to write because um, I worked. I got involved in the museum world basically, and cool. we had we were in northern Idaho, and we had the EPA approach us, and they were like, we have all these. Um, mine sites that we need to survey and we need tons of information from them and the museum where I worked at had tons of the historical records from those mine sites and I knew where the rest of those records were because part of my background is like even when I was a kid like I'm a researcher right like you give okay. me a topic and I get a hold of it like a bulldog with a bone and I'm not letting you go until I get the answer right um, which is good for a mystery writer. Um, yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it can be very distracting. But for the most part, it's a it's a good thing, right? Um, and so what I discovered was I was like, we have all this information. I know how to write. And so there's probably a way we can leverage this for the museum and for me. Um, so I wrote a job description for a head of the research department and a what was called a museum operations specialist for the museum. 
oddly it lined up almost identically with my own resume. Um, and <laughs> hmm, <imagine> so, that. <laughs> really strange how that worked. So, so basically then I eased, I basically moved into that role. Um, and what it taught me, the beauty of working freelance or doing journalism or things like that for a writer is first of all, you're going to learn to write tight and to a deadline. Okay. Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to have word counts. You're going to have, but you're going to have deadlines. I mean, and the deadlines are hard deadlines. You miss the deadline. You don't get paid. Right. So yeah, for yeah. many of us, that's a great motive. And technically, even if you're writing fiction yourself, if you don't finish the book, you don't, you don't get, get paid. paid. So it teaches you <laughs> that mentality. Um, it also taught me that my words were actually worth money. Like the, yeah. uh, your tax dollars were paying me to write words. That was pretty right. cool. Right. But I also found that writing was a skill. As many times as writers, people think of this as like, this is a hobby or this is a passion thing or whatever the case may be. But I found that my writing was actually a skill. And there were people that I, were around me that had master's degrees and four million letters after their name, right? But they couldn't write. Yeah. Like they couldn't have written one of those reports. I could have given them all the same information I had, all the same tools, everything else. And they couldn't have written those reports. But right. I could. And so it taught me that that skill was unique and that I could make money doing that. And so for me, that was a huge, that was the biggest lesson out of that whole thing. So that mentality and that inspiration enabled me to shift from working for someone to thinking about working for myself and how I could leverage this for myself. That's so, really great. I mean, yeah. I, I look at a lot of writers um, and we all have to sort of have our own journey, right? But if you haven't been out in the world and done that deadline thing and the figuring out something for your boss thing, you know, that's kind of going to be a bit detrimental when you're all alone in your office or wherever you write and no one's there to say anything except for you, you know, yep. like you, it, it, I find it a struggle for a lot of people. Um, so even like young people who ask me like, no, I'm just going to try to do it now. Like whatever entrepreneurial thing they do, I'm always like, but you should probably do it at the same time because it's just skills that you'll find. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to one the other day, a writer, where I was like, it's funny because you almost feel more productive when you are working two jobs because your brain is working on two different levels. Whereas like you wake up as a full-time writer and you feel like you have the whole day until it's eight o'clock at night. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, what happened to the day? You know, so these are really valuable skills of learning the deadline, learning to write tightly, right? Learning to research within a certain amount of time, all within your day job. And then I'm sure you wanted to go home and write. It's like your brain is just constantly active instead of sort of yeah. like, I got all the time in the world. <laughs> well, and also the other thing is that, so if you, let's say you come out of your writing program, let's say you went to college for writing, which most of the time for people is a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> You've got uh, lots of rules in your head. <laughs> the, the reason that, and, and it's not even necessarily the rules. The reason is they teach you to write beautiful prose, but they tell you nothing about the publishing industry and how to actually make this work. Or a story. So you walk like out what into is the a real story? world and you're like, okay, what now? Yeah. Like what next? Yeah. Right. There's nothing. You have no background. The other thing is that you learn a lot 
by just being with people that mm. are smarter than you. Um, and and there, there's just an incredible value to that, that you, that it, it, yeah. it's really difficult to explain because that person is going to have some nugget that maybe inspires your story, but maybe if nothing mm -hmm. else gives you a business idea that says, Hey, this is, this is something that you should do. Right. So coming out and just being going straight into the entrepreneurship part of things is first of all, it's super challenging in today's yeah. market because you need some background, you need some information and people constantly underestimate the amount of education it takes to be a writer full-time. What right. I mean by that is going back to that doesn't mean you need a college degree, but what it means is you need to be immersed and, and constantly working on your craft and improving mm. the craft of writing because you're never going to master it. You're forever going to write horrible first drafts. They might not be as horrible as you go forward, but they're still going to be bad first drafts. But there is so much more to it, regardless of your path to publication, whether that's traditional, whether you do self-publishing, whether you're like me and you do some kind of hybrid type thing, whatever the case may be, there you still have to have a very thorough understanding and knowledge of the publishing industry. And it's constantly changing. So you have to keep up. So right. there, there are no, like, there's not an alternative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you need yeah. to be constantly educating, your, educating yourself. That means conferences. That means hanging out with people in mastermind groups that are your peers or above, preferably. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is a place for you to mentor younger writers. And that is, like, this year I'm the president of Idaho Writers Guild. I'm giving back to the community, mentoring other writers, mentoring other people, and helping run an organization that helps them, right? Yeah, but, but that's that great, too, because you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, you're, and so you're thinking as you're teaching, but that's right, not right. my... I also need those groups that are my peers yeah. and above that challenge me exactly. and say, hey, this is what you're doing, but this is how you could go to the next yeah. level. Because there's always a next level. Always yeah. next level. Yeah, you, you never want to be the smartest person in the room all the time. You know, and I no. smartest in that you know the most about that one topic. You mm -hmm. know, teaching, of course, reiterates, you know, one of my... Um, writers the other day asked me a question that I said, that's a very good question. <laughs> let, me go, oh. let me go figure that out, you know. Um, but I want to go back to the, like you, you said skill a couple of minutes ago. And I think that what some writers um, miss, especially if it has been a passion since they were a kid, and they do have a talent for storytelling, for seeing stories for in the world and in their minds. A lot. I've come across quite a few especially young writers who don't think they need anything other than their mm -hmm. talent. And I always try to very gently say, yes, you do. So you've said skill quite a bit. And you said that you have to be honing your craft. So what, what does that mean to you and for, for when you're working with writers? So I use, I usually use the analogy of sports or like some kind of a game, right? You can have an innate talent. Let's say I have an innate talent for basketball, right? But if I don't ever go practice the fundamentals, if I always just have a talent for it, I might be an okay player on the playground, mm. but I'm never going to make it to the NBA. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I'm never right. going to learn those fine skills and to, because you can see the difference. Go and watch your local high school basketball game. Then go and watch a professional basketball game. The other night, my wife and I went and saw our local hockey team here, right? Which is, they're very good in their league. 
but they have like missed passes that you know if it was NHL, somebody would score because somebody right. missed that pass. Okay. But it doesn't happen in the lower leagues because that missed pass is okay. Right. Right. So as a writer, what happens is you you there's a progression that you have craft wise and business knowledge, right? Where you go from being a hobbyist and an amateur to kind of a pro am. You're kind of in the middle. You're making a little money off your writing. You're not making a living off of it yet. And some of the reason for that has to do with that honing your craft. Um, mm. That fact of understanding that each story has a trajectory and has a path, and that there are reader expectations, and that you need to basically your reader is your customer in some ways, and you need to reach that readers and meet their expectations. So at the end of the book, they're satisfied. But as a writer, it's about more than that, because today for you to gather a bunch of readers, you also need a relationship and an mm. emotional connection with those readers. So you're never going to get that from an AI generated book, for example, yeah. to bring up the elephant in the room that everybody's talking yes. about that there's like two major announcements about today. Right? Everyone's freaking out about everybody's it, yeah. freaking out about that. But the, the couple things that that. Um, AI cannot do is first of all, intent is the number one. Like you sit down to write a story, you have intent, right? The AI has no intent. They do it does what you tell it to do. Right. right. The second thing is it's putting words in certain orders logically based on what it has learned. It's not doing them emotionally. And when you ask it for a twist, the twist doesn't always make sense. Yes, Why? Because the AI doesn't understand story the way you should understand story, right? So that the ability to create that special twist at the end of your book that really hooks your reader and it also changes them emotionally is a skill that you must learn. Right. And the longer you do this, the more proficient you become at that skill, provided that you are actually analyzing what you are doing. If yes. you are just writing lots of stories over and over again, a friend of mine started, she's a great writer now and she's in her thirties, which is fantastic because a lot of writers don't come on into their own until their forties. Right. 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 But part of that is she started writing fanfic online when she was 12. Wow. And has written millions of words online, yeah. but also at the same time, she studied crap. Right. She studied people along the way. So she has an amazing following for fan fiction, actually. And the reason is her stories are actually good right. because she refined them over time. So the, this, it, this is a skills development career. You must develop skills along the way. Yes. You, yes. you can have talent and talent is very helpful. But I know some writers who have less talent than others, but greater skill and those writers are making more money and making a living at it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to get across to some of writers that I talk to. is like, I think a lot of the talent is in your head. And what, what is very frustrating to writers sometimes is getting it from your head to the paper is a really different process. Like, I was just writing this morning, and I was like, I had this whole conversation in my head in the car 
two minutes later, I'm at my computer and it's different. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. there's something missing. So I'll have to put my finger on that later. But that's the frustrating part. And that's where your skill comes in, right? Because you're going to, you know, like you said, get your rough draft out there. It's down, it's on the paper. And I know there's something wrong, but I know there's something wrong because I've studied the craft of it and being able to say, okay, there was a twist there and here. And and twists, like you said, you you mentioned twists, and those aren't just for mystery thriller writers, right? Like mm -hmm. a twist it's for everything. is for yeah. every book, right? So what do you mean when, when you're talking about a twist? Like why would a women's uh, fiction writer still need a twist in their in their story? Well, a lot of that is, so, so there's a couple different phrases that we toss around. This is part of your skill as a writer is learning the vocabulary. And a part of it is like the, at the end of each chapter that you create should be a hook mm. right and the purpose of the hook is one thing to get the reader to turn the page to the next chapter now you're also going to use micro hooks throughout your book right um but the reason we need a twist is because life is twists right what a twist does for you really is and and the reason it works in women's fiction and other fiction as well is a twist is not about the events that happen and this is a common mistake that writers make right. is they think a clever twist is about throwing in a new suspect or throwing in a new thing. And no, a twist is about changing the emotion of the story and changing your character arc. So mm. the character was thinking one way. The reason we talk about the midpoint in a story is the character was thinking one way. And for most of the time, the first half of a book, the character is reacting to things that happen to them. Right. Mm -hmm. The midpoint and that twist and that change in the story is when the character is no longer reacting and now they are taking action. They become right. proactive. Right. Basic writing type things. But for them to switch, to make that switch, something needs to happen. Right. And usually that is some kind of a twist. Their expectations were wrong. They discover that they're actually something different. Um, they thought that they needed something or that they wanted something and they get to the middle of the book and they discover that's not actually what they need. It's right. not actually what they want. And that's the twist. And all that does is it turns your character around and makes them turn and face a different direction. Mm -hmm. And usually that also makes your antagonist face a different direction. They were pursuing now they are being pursued. And this this works in romance as well. If you like romance, your one of your romantic interests is the lead. The other one is actually the antagonist, usually. That's the antagonist right. in your story, right? And that's what creates that tension. And the twist is when the one that was the lead and was, you know, resisting or whatever the case may be, that flips. Right. And now they're right. pursuing, right? And every, you can see it in romance as you watch them. You can see it happen. Um, right. My wife and I just watched the, it's kind of a romantic comedy, You People, that's on Netflix or something last There's night. So many. I, thought, <laughs> I thought this is this is a classic romancing the beat for phase mm -hmm. one. I, as I was going through it, I could see each of those things happening. But it's as satisfying, a, right? As the viewer. Was, like, oh, yeah. It was absolutely satisfying because even though I knew I'm like, they're going to break up right here. But at the <laughs> same time, I wanted to see how 
the writers made that happen, why right. that happened. And because I was invested in the characters, then I cared that that yeah. happened. And I wondered how they would bring them back together after that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's still, even though I know what's coming and I know they're going to get back together, but I want to know how I want to know why I want to yeah. know what their motive was for changing their mind after this huge radical change that caused them to split. Then what is the next radical change that causes them to get back together? Right. right so right. I'm, I'm still vested in the story. I'm still vested in the characters, even though I know what's going to happen. So your characters, especially are really in a large part what drives your story forward and it's about the character twists not the event twists right that's i mean yeah it's not really like i think one of the greatest twists um is the breakup with jennifer aniston and uh, he's a comedy the actor dude. yeah i know the dude you're guy about. Oh, yeah. we all know him right yeah yeah <laughs> um but i think that was one of the greatest twists and that was before I was studying craft because it's really about him. Like you said, it's about the character and it's mm -hmm. about him learning that it's not about keeping her. It's about loving her enough to let her go. And it's just like, it's such a good twist because it changes him in a small, like the small realization and it changes how he treats every single person. Right. And yep. it's like, I use that as an example because we, we tend to, overthink things as writers you know like the want and the need and the whatever like he wants the girlfriend to stay but he's not he it's not in the for the right reasons you know and so that changes and i think we just get we make it so complicated when we when we're trying to like define what all these things are we have to make it some philosophical <laughs> something yeah. or other <laughs> Well, yeah, it has to be some kind of philosophical discussion. It doesn't have to be because it's really, it's like real life. Like real life is very simple. Right. The only difference between fiction and real life is that fiction has to make sense. Yes. And it has to end in a satisfying way. Um, real life doesn't always necessarily, like each chapter of your life doesn't always necessarily have to do that. Right. Right. Um, right. But one example I use is like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like my wife okay. and I went and saw that movie in the theater. Right. Um, and the guy who plays Freddie Mercury, I can't remember his name either, but he's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Right. And there was a moment, you know, how there's the normal just kind of rustling in the theater and the normal kind of chatter. And then there was a moment when he's talking to the one girl. I think it's Elizabeth. I can't remember her name. But anyway, and he, he's he's talking to her on the phone, but he can see her window from the phone. And it's a very emotional moment because you can tell that this is the moment when they really realize that this is not ever going to work. He's right. not into her in that way. And she wants something different than what he's offering. Yeah. Yeah. And he's on the phone, but he can see her window and he says, well, good night. And as he hangs up the phone, her light in her window goes dark and the entire theater was silent. Yeah. Like dead silent for like a good 10 seconds. And it was like every person in the theater reacted the exact same way to that mm -hmm. moment. Now, if you knew the story of his life, if you know the story of Queen, and if you understand story structure, you knew this was coming. Like this was right. not a shock. Right. Right. But it's still everyone held their breath for one moment because everyone hit that realization wall at the same time. 
I mean, it's yeah. beautiful. It was a beautiful moment because you wouldn't have gotten that at home necessarily. When you're watching it in a theater, you see the reactions of everyone yeah, yeah. else too. But it was super amazing just to go, wow. Which is one of the reasons to go see some of these movies in a theater is not to necessarily see it on the big screen or to burn $20 on snacks that are <laughs> useful that you could have made at home for five. Um, but it's it's because you can feel and see experience the reactions of right. it with other people and see that crowd and see their reaction to things. Um, yeah. It's a great way to study story because you can yes. see instead of a reader telling you how they reacted to something, you can actually see it happen to someone. It's amazing. Yeah, and you can feel it with others, right? What is landing with people and what's not? Because in the end, I mean, there's two different skills where it's writing and, you know, cinematography, but the storytelling um, what works, what what people like on Rotten Tomatoes and don't like, it's all about the story. You know, is mm-hmm. the story hitting the beats that is satisfying to the to the reader, right? So but let's talk a little bit about your your books. Did you always start writing out mystery? And um how much did you work at mystery skill writing before you actually just pushed it out there? <laughs> so um so when I was in college, I actually tried to write sci-fi because when I was growing okay. up, I read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, um, and that was a lot of my escape. But I also read a lot of mysteries. It's super. It, it's just like I was extremely well. Like I've read everything I could get my hands on mm. from the time I was really young. Everything they would let me check out of the library. I would. There'd be sometimes I go to check something out, and they're like. That's something that's, you know, you're not going to finish that. It's too complicated for somebody your age. And I'm like, no, it's not. Just give me the book. Um, <laughs> you know, I read Black Beauty when I was in like fourth grade. I mean, you know, it's just it's a it, it was an amazing story. But anyway, um, but I read all of the Hardy Boys books, like all of them that were yeah, out at the, the time. There's I had all a of, lot. You know, the little hard <laughs> hardback ones. There were like 50 some at the time. I read all of those. Right. But I also read a lot of Isaac Asimov and stuff like that. And then I started to get into Stephen King and those type of things. So I didn't start out with the intent necessarily to write mystery and thriller. But what I okay. found was that that just ended up being my author voice. Okay. Like I tried other things and there are some of my stuff that has little paranormal elements in it or whatever. But what I found was, first of all, when I came down and I realized what my first novel was and what it needed to be, I was like, okay, this is a psychological thriller. That's exactly what it is. It's mental, okay. but it's it's a thriller type thing. There's and mystery when did elements. you figure that out? Like while um, you're writing it? or Yeah, while I was writing. Well, okay. the first thing. So when I first started out, the conventional wisdom was you released a collection of short stories so everyone could get used to your writing. And then you release your first novel. That's this was just, right. That this was, was a just thing. a thing. It was a thing. Yes. And everybody said, this is what you have to do. And I was like, I don't want to. And they were <laughs> like, well, this is what you have to do anyway. So that that was the conventional wisdom at the time. Was this was how to get into indie publishing, which worked to an extent. But what I found was when I gathered up a lot of the short stories that I had, they all had that same similar like dark kind of sinister psychological thriller mystery type theme they were all different like one of them i'm like i'm rewriting i took the story i was going to put it in an anthology that i'm in with a person and then with another gal and then i was like i need to rewrite this story because it doesn't make sense this way anymore um okay the way it did before but it's still the same story like there's a bank heist it's a thriller there's cops there's bad guys 
Um, you know, and so as I started to put that together, I was like, okay, this is my thing. Right. But then I, you know, wrote my first novel and then I had, there was a friend of mine owned a small press and he was like, I want you to submit some short stories. And this one has to be about dragons. Well, I submitted a short story about dragons and it's a thriller with dragons. I mean, it's, that's what it is. You know, you, you can't take it, um, out of there. I actually wrote, um, so I was a, uh, I worked as an editor for a publisher for a long time, and I was the managing okay. editor of a steamy romance series. So I wrote the first book. You look like the quintessential editor for a steamy romance. Right? <laughs> I mean, pretty much, right? Well, I just, I would always tell people, you know, I have three kids. I've got to figure it out. Okay. I know how, I know works. how this happens. <laughs> I know how this works. It's all right. Um, but anyway, so I wrote the first steamy romance because i wanted it to be i wanted that series to be a mix of there needed to be a plot i'm like i don't want your straight erotica it was around the time right. that 50 shades came out so we were getting submissions of 50 shades of every color <laughs> that you could imagine and i'm like what in the something's wrong 50 with these shades people. of pink <laughs> and people were trying to write erotica i had no business writing erotica there were things they were saying and words and terminology and descriptions that I was like no 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 anyway so I was like <laughs> I want this to be split you know okay. plot and romance heavy romance yeah. so I wrote the first one in that series which is a mystery thriller steamy romance <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a murder there's a cop and his wife there's a dead body and lots of hot sex but I mean there's that's the the premise, the idea was still the same. Yeah. Like there was still yeah. people that have read my fiction before will read that and they go, I can, that's your author voice right there, you know? Yeah. And so the more I discovered that was just what it is, is this kind of, you know, I can do comedy, but it's always in the context of some kind of adventure or some kind of thriller. Right. You know, I I did a rewriting of Don Quixote called Tilting at Windmills, right? It's an action adventure comedy like it's kind of one long junior <laughs> high joke but it's a <laughs> but it's a you know what i mean so it's everything that i do came back to that same thing so i just eventually discovered this is my default this is my author voice mm. so i need to just lean into that right uh, so people that are deciding their genre like i i recently had someone that like submitted to every category of a writing contest like nonfiction, fiction poetry everything and i'm like so what do you write? Like, what is your thing? Like, even my poetry has that dark underlying theme. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everything is, there's a, there's a voice there. And that's helpful to develop a brand as you're going forward right. as well. But it was just, it was kind of a thing that just worked. And then because I loved research so much, I would research all these different things. Like, I know all these different ways to... Uh, just these various different ways to kill people and things like that. <laughs> to like, hide the know, body. <laughs> hide bodies, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, it's, it's no one, one wants to check things. your your Google search. <laughs> well, yeah, and like when you, it's at parties when somebody says, "Oh yeah, we'll see how they slit his throat there," and you're like, "No, that's actually not how that works." And then you explain <laughs> it to them, and then they go, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna." <laughs> Go, Go over, over here. here. This is just. I didn't like, need I'm a to fiction know. writer. First of all, I don't need to know that. Second of all, how did you know that? Like, 
you know, now that I hear it, it makes sense, but I didn't need to hear it. <laughs> I don't actually uh, want to know this. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, yes, yeah. I want to touch on one thing because I think it's interesting that you, you first call yourself like mystery th- thriller writer, and then you have other elements that you bring in. And I think that's not necessarily a mistake, but one thing that people might not really understand is you can be, you know, above all a romance writer, maybe you always write, you know, something in which a relationship is happening. But if you're coming up against like, uh, just writer's block, and like, what do I write about this time? Like incorporating in another genre can really help your story because like you put a dead body in there and everything changes, right? Like you have this adventure, you know, some balloon lands in the middle of your (laughs) spy balloon gets shot down in your backyard. Everything changes, like trying that out. And what I find interesting, you were writing stories, you were putting in the words and Mm -hmm. then you saw like what your voice is and then you move forward from there. So like putting words on paper in different ways, is probably a really good way to go about finding your 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 pinpoint genre, right? Like your niche genre. Yeah, I, I mean, part of it is like being the other thing is being in touch with the short story market. First of all, you can make a little bit of money there. You can't make a lot, but you can't. I shouldn't say that. You can. It's just a lot of hard work. Mm. But the short story market is a really interesting place to test out your ideas and test out your thoughts without having to write a full novel. True. Like you, true, you true. go, okay, so what would happen with, I mean, think about like, we look at some classic TV shoot shows like Moonlighting. What is that? Well, it's a romance with a lot of murder and dead bodies and <laughs> cases. And so it's, it's a romantic mystery type blend, right? But right. it works super well. So if you find yourself like, I feel like I'm in a rut, like I'm, you know, I, I mean, if you're writing Regency romance, there's a limit to what you can throw in there, right? Um, there's a limit to what readers are going to put Regency up with. Regency fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of a readers are going to put up with a certain amount of like genre blending there, but not a lot. But not if a you're lot. in That's almost true. any other romance genre, um, or if you just want to switch romance genres, I've, I've talked to tons of people who've written historical romance or Regency romance and gone, you know what, I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. With all the rules. I want to go play somewhere. Well, go write yourself a romantic comedy and throw in some jokes there and throw in some fun and see what happens, right? There's nothing wrong with like playing around within your genre as long as it somewhat resonates with your brand. And so that's a part of the thing too, is your brand as an author is you. It's Mm. not your series, not your books, not your character. Now this is for me. Some people will like, they focus on one series. That's their series forever or the same type of series, right? And that's what they do forever. And that's it, right? That's that's where they are, that's it. That's fine, because that becomes their brand. But for me, okay. it should be more, your brand is you and who you are. Okay. And that's that's a persona that you put out in public too. You don't have to air all of your dirty laundry and tell the world all your secrets either, right? Um, in fact- Please, please don't. don't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but I mean, your brand is you, so you can, Tell your readers, hey, man, you like to laugh? Now, some of your Regency readers are not going to come over to that side. Mm. That's all right. You're not always going to get crossover, but you can get some. So you're not starting from zero. But there's nothing wrong with playing with your genre and exploring, like, who you are and what you want to do. 
to have a sustainable author career, you're going to have to add some variety over time. You're going right. to have to find new and innovative ways to keep yourself interested in your right. work. You know, yes. so yes. as well as your readers, <laughs> but I mean, you have to be interested in it too. Otherwise, your readers will notice. Kind of, you... what's the point? Yeah, your readers yes. will notice. They'll notice that you're you're mailing it in, and they're it. It's just not. It's just not as good because you're not emotionally invested. Your reader is not emotionally invested. Right. So, so how long have you been writing now? So since really since 2009, really about 2011 2009. when I went full time. So so, almost 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. At least over a decade of full time yeah. writer. That's very yeah. cool. And things have changed quite a bit. I mean, you got in on that Kindle part, right? But, and I was talking with someone the other day, like, lamenting a little bit, like, because I was around, I just had, you know, knee deep in diapers <laughs> with my kids at the time and wasn't very active in, in researching the market. Uh, kudos to you. Um, there is a certain point at which writers who were smart or just saw the market or were lucky or whatever it is, you know, and got in at that point. You know, she was saying, oh, they they were so lucky. They really made their career at that point. And I said, yeah, but this is a career that every year you are having to put yourself out there. And the good thing is that your books are evergreen. They're always there. You can keep pulling them out. People are still going to find them a decade later. But you have to put it out in front of them. Like, they might have had a burst, but... <laughs> They still have to go out there. They still have to tell new readers about their books, right? So it's it's still a full time job, correct? Or correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, it's it's still a full time job, and for it to be sustainable, you have to continue marketing. Like I have that original series that I wrote. Like I haven't updated the cover since 2013. I don't sell those books oh, wow. hardly at all. Well, I need to bring them out, redo the covers, make them more relevant for today and read and it's one of my things on the agenda for this year right but just because you have a backlist doesn't mm. mean that you're it's not that those books never sell it's a, sometimes when they do i'm like oh man please don't read that um but <laughs> you know but, you know my writing has changed right and it's not that they're bad it's just that for me so i just have to get over that and bring them back into relevance right. in today's right. market um, but you constantly have to do things like that. You're constantly updating your books. You're updating the back matter. You're changing how you're doing business. We're moving from, from people being exclusively on Amazon to lots and lots of people selling books direct to readers through their own right. website. Right. right. It's a great idea if you can make it work and develop right. that trust, right? And as Amazon and Facebook and all these other places go through all these changes, it's good to have your own place for people to come to so that you yeah. kind of own that. It's your territory. It's secure. It's your own thing. Right. Right. Um, because it's before <laughs> we were very dependent upon other yep. markets and other people. And then, you know, things are constantly coming out, this whole AI thing um, and yeah. talking about like AI audio narrators and stuff like right. that and how people are, some people are extremely opposed. Some people are extremely in favor and then yesterday, it comes out that a major audio book provider for indie authors basically has a clause in their contract that Apple can use your audio from your audio books to train AI narrators unless you opt out of it. Now, th this is news yesterday. 
Right. Like the the market has changed. So I have to decide, am I leaving my books on that platform? Right. And allowing, is that okay with me to allow that to happen? Right. Yeah. Well, so there's an immediate change in my, my career, my income, my next moves for my, right. my audio books. I mean, there's a, it changes everything. Yeah. Cause if you decide to move announcement. <laughs> Yes. Moving is a big deal. It is a big deal. Right? Yeah. And then you go, yep. well, where do you move from there? There right. are a limited number of options of people who have a good foothold in the market for audiobooks. Yeah. Right. Yep. So this is part of the like, this has nothing to do with writing, but it has everything to do with a writing career. Yes. That's everything turns on a dime. Yes. And, and you're like, you know, so. Like I say, this is just, it. it's a part of this constant education and learning thing that's a part of an, an author career to have something sustainable for years. You aren't going to be Stephen King and release novels and finally get to a point where you just release one or two here and there and everybody's just waiting for whatever you release next. And truth is that isn't happening for him either. He has a huge marketing team and they're doing all kinds of things to bring his books out because... He yeah, everything's to. changing. Yeah, he even the to. traditionally published. Well, and they, I think it was, was it Jane Friedman? No, it wasn't Jane Friedman, but somebody the other day announced, was wrote a whole article about even traditionally published. You have one book deal, don't expect that they'll pick up your next book. Even nope. if it's in the same series, the same genre, They, you're going to start no. all over again. Everything is changing. And as much as us writers only want to sit down and write, it's no longer viable like that's not no. going to be your life right well and think about what we saw like when there was the big merger talk right yes. and, and so there's these two publishers in front of congress for three weeks and what they told us if you listen carefully is we have no idea what no idea <laughs> i was like we don't know how possible? to sell books because here's what happens okay so and you they don't a, know the market which you is you get a traditional publishing deal Right. Yeah. You get your book to them and you're like, yay, my agent got this through an editor and I got published by a traditional publishing house and I'm not selling any books. Well, yeah, because, and they know what they're doing, right? Wait. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in the marketing department liked that book. And so if the right. marketing department doesn't like it, you aren't going to get the money and attention that you need to get yeah. your book anywhere in the charts. And it's going to sit and languish the same as somebody's self-published title they uploaded to Amazon last Thursday with no marketing. Right. Because the right. book that isn't marketed doesn't sell. And it doesn't matter what the publisher name on the spine is. Right. So, right. Because they don't know your ideal reader, which is amazing to me. Oh, they no, they don't no understand idea. it. They don't understand the all different subgenres that are happening. They don't understand social media. They they don't know. And you're not a big name. They they also said something like, if you're not a big name, you're not going to sell. Like if they have that mindset, why even publish other people's books? You know, like well, what is going on? And like if you think about it, the only publishers that are like big publishers, and they're not even traditional, they're not even part of the big five, is the ones that are owned by Amazon. Now, yeah. why do those, those you can do really well with those publishers if they like your book, if the marketing right. department likes your book. Why? Amazon understands the subgenres. Mm -hmm. Amazon has all they the data <laughs> yeah. on all the readers everywhere so they know exactly where to send right. your book so that people will buy it. 
Yeah. Right. Now, can you learn those things on your own? And can you? Yes, there are things you can do. Right. Yes. Right. So there to help your career be sustainable. But anymore, you have to be thinking about those things as well yes. as what you're writing. So yeah. this. You know, I wrote a great book. Congratulations. Step one. Step of one. Yep. Many. Yeah. Whether you, know, you go indie or trad. You whether know, you go indie or trad, it's in, still the same thing. Yeah, you're um, still going to be responsible. Because the way you're going to get the marketing department in the traditional publishers to notice your book is you're going to market it yourself until it sells a whole bunch of copies. And then somebody in the marketing department is going to go, what's this book we published here? Oh, it actually is selling. And then they'll put their power What did we it. do about it? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, what do yeah, we do about yeah. it now, now that it's selling? And then yeah. they'll put their power behind it. But if Absolutely. they don't, if nobody notices it in their department, they're not going to put their power behind it. Yeah. And you're going to be in the same boat as every indie publisher that's out there. Only when it comes to royalty time, you're getting 11% maybe of what yeah. the cover price is. And I'm getting 70. Yep. That's true. That's true. And if and I'm they'll selling them through mind. my website, I'm getting a hundred. Yes. Well, not a hundred, Bes- but I'm besides getting. Besides those PayPal 85, 5%. I'm getting 85% <laughs> maybe something like that. But you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm making money from my work. Yes, exactly. The the closest to a hundred percent you can get. So, yeah. so are, are you, you do a lot of things you write, you're, you're still writing your books, you help authors, you're um, with plotter as well. You are, you are the guy that teaches us how to plot. Um, so let's talk just as we wrap up a little bit about how you help authors. Are you, are you still out there um, helping them edit and things like that? So I, I do editing. I don't do as much editing as I used to. So, which, which means that I book like way out way, yeah. because I just, I can't do it as much. So I refer people to other editors in general which is more, fine. more than I. Um, so what are your myself? thoughts on why we should use an editor? Cause there's also a little bit of a trend in indies of, I don't need an editor. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so, well, so here's the deal in indie publishing. Let's say you use, Pro Writing Aid and Autocrit or maybe Marlowe, whatever the latest thing is, right, to edit your book. Can you get it edited well enough for some readers? Sure. And if you're a skilled marketer, you can sell mediocre books, and that's fine if that's what you want. That's that's not what I want. Um, and so you, there are certain steps you can take to work on editing your book so that costs you less for an editor, but Mm -hmm. you need other human eyes on your book before it goes out into the world, regardless of what that looks like for you. And for me anymore, what I do when I do edit for people is I do an evaluation first, a manuscript evaluation. And the reason is you will tell me all I need is a copy and line edit of your book. Yes. And I will (laughs) read your book (laughs) and I will go, no, That's not what you need. Or I might say, yeah, that is what you need. And hey, that's great because I can do that one fast and I like that, right? right? That saves me all kinds of trouble and time, right? But for the most part, that rarely ever happens. Mm. Usually you have some passive voice going on. You have some showing or some telling, not showing. You have some all kinds of other stuff happening in your book that you don't see anymore because you're too close to it. And right. so you need those other human eyes on your work um, to make it better. And don't go into Marlowe and Pro Writing Aid and all those things and just accept all the changes that they offer. 
No, please no. don't do that. <laughs> because they're wrong. Yes. They're wrong. They're going to put commas in the wrong place. They're going to substitute words that you did not yes. mean for it to substitute. And, and it's yes. going to read just like a machine, you know, edited. It's going to read like AI, right? It's going to, it's, it's going to read terribly. It's horrible, yeah. you know, because even people are using AI heavily. And I know a lot of people that are using it, but even those that are using it heavily understand that the AI generates ideas, outlines, it helps you with certain types of writer's block or whatever, but you are still the writer. Yeah. You still have to right. take what it spits out and make it into your story. Yeah, don't so, cut corners. You know, like, can it help you? Sure, maybe. Sure. Yeah. It, it can be a, it, like any other tool, it can be a help. But like any other tool, it can also be your downfall. Mm -hmm. Because when you start to trust a machine too much over your human instincts, your human emotions and stuff like that, just like with anything else, you're going to have problems. Nobody yet, yeah. even with Tesla's full self-driving mode, just goes back to make themselves a sandwich in the back seat while a <laughs> car drives them around. Okay, yes, <laughs> it, We're not there yet. Um, and a big part of the reason is that thinking and that decision making and that intent. Right. Right. We're we're just not there yet. Right. With machines. Right. Right. Um, right. And hopefully by the time we do and they're sentient and writing their own novels, but, I'll be. Long <laughs> well, gone. at but least anyway. they'll be able to keep us on the road, but I'm not sure they'll be able to still edit your book. What, what I like about editing and working with an editor and I tell everyone all the time, I know that it's an investment. It is, but it's cheaper than. Uh, going to back to college because it's really, and not that, you know, I have my own feelings about going to get an MBA and it's great for some people. But what you're doing is really looking at the story from the point of view of a reader, like fresh eyes and somebody especially who has um, experience and understands storytelling and understands what should be happening. You're getting a whole education like mm -hmm. right there. You know, it's really a relationship. It is not meant to judge you. It is meant for you to learn more and more and more. And like you said, there are times you might get to the point where all you need is a line edit because you understand and you can see the mistakes and you can follow through. And that, I mean, maybe if you're smart enough, that'll happen in a few edits. I still really love to send off short stories and get feedback on them and pay for the editing and to see what they're seeing, right? And I mean... If you, Joanna Penn, people who are up there are still working with editors, that's what I tell my, my yeah, writers. It's, it's a it's, hint. Like, you're, yes. first of all, you're getting a lesson. You're getting a writing lesson every time because you're getting somebody else's perspective. There's also things that writers just do, right? Like, you will repeat certain words and phrases mm -hmm. in your book. Your editor will it's point that out. Yeah. You, your editor will point that out, right? And you go, oh. Man, I use some way too much. Like, <laughs> or, okay. or like I loved beautiful that day. I love beautiful. Like that everything day. was beautiful. Everything, <laughs> everything was beautiful. Yeah, that everything day. was beautiful. So you're like, in my next book, I am not gonna repeat that word. I'm not gonna do that again, right? And you're right, you won't. You'll just you pick won't. a different word and you'll repeat that one over and over throughout your book. And your next exactly. book, you'll pick a different one. And I mean, yep. I'm telling you, 30 books in, I'm like, I have cycled through some words. Right. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I, I come back one. <laughs> to one because I kind of like that one, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and I come back to it and repeat it again. Right. And your editor catches those things and can tell mm -hmm. you patterns, can tell mm -hmm. you things that you're doing that you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was right. doing that. Or I didn't realize right. I missed that until you right. said it. 
And it's not something that an AI is going to catch. It's not something right. that your editor in Word is going to catch. It's something that a human reader is going to catch. Yeah. And you need those eyes. Whatever that yeah. looks like for you, you need those other eyes on your manuscript. Yes, yes absolutely. So. I love that. So there, your um, website will be in the show notes below. It's troylambertwrites.com. Um, there's a lot more here on your website that we didn't even touch on. So I encourage everyone to go. Go to TroyLambertWrites.com. You'll find out even more. You have some cool um, book trailers here as well, which we didn't even get into those. Yeah, <laughs> those, are, those are, cool. are super fun. Super fun. They're very cool. So I'll have I'll have people go over there. But thank you so much, Troy, for coming and talking to me. I feel like we could we could talk for another three hours. But <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we we could do several of these on different topics if we would stay on topic. It would be really if we, would stay we could if we could do that. You know, next time, next, next time, time. <laughs> next time we'll stay focused. That's exactly. what I say every time. But I'm exactly. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. All right. Thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.